trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. Today, I am joined by my guest, Derek Adam. Derek uses... (laughs) I die. Derek uses he him pronouns is a dramatic middle child, Virgo, lover and fighter, chef, traveler, jack of all trades, I would feel. Um, and I'm so excited to sit and share space with Derek today. So hello, Likewise. friend. <laughs> hello, my friend from the 90s. Yeah, I feel like I, I need everyone to know that, Derek, you're probably my oldest friend. No, you are definitely my oldest friend. Uh, Derek and I have known each other since we were five or six. First grade? Legit. First grade. Um, yeah. We're well, not going to talk about how our parents got us in the school earlier than we should have been, but, you know, that, no, I it's digress. Fun. It's fun. Um, yeah, especially you. You're a September birthday, so they were really right. out here pushing not gonna me talk for about, You know how people's grandparents, um, you know, lied on birth certificates and altered them to, you know, get us into school because we were ready. We're not going to discuss that. Listen, it was the 90s. It was a different time. Okay. <laughs> they, did, they did what they had to do. Um, but yeah, so Derek and I have known each other since we were five and six years old. Um, if you let Derek tell you, I treated on a time stable test, which I refuse to acknowledge because <laughs> our teacher was a racist anyway. So, okay. So let's just talk about it. You literally were the first one to get your test. And by the time she had finished handing it out to the classroom, she was like, flip your papers over. And she was sitting right next to you. You flipped it over and you were done with the test. I can't help that I was a genius and knew my times tables. Oh, oh I got like, all 100 I'm not done. waiting on everyone else. I know these answers. I've been studying. My mother has helped me. I know the answers. And I legit think that was your response. You were like, my mother has been helping me and I know my answers. Right. Yolanda Diane did not play about math. Okay. So <laughs> did not. You knew my mother. She was no joke. So you bet your little butt I knew my times tables. And I Listen, came in and did that. funny. And Miss Bradford. She was upset. Priscilla Bradford was upset. No, Priscilla, not her first name. Uh, she was she was upset with you, but she was evil to us. She was a racist. She, she was, was evil she to was, us. She was well. She what, what did she say? Like you people always cheat, and I was like, and, right. And it didn't hit me till you told me a couple of years later, and I was like, oh my god, we had a racist teacher. Like, but it's funny because I think my mother was always like pro black, so I always knew when mm-hmm. the Karens before they became Karens were trying us. I Sex. always knew. Like, I remember she said to me once, I had, like, all these shoes, because my father always bought me shoes and clothing. And she was like, it's funny how you have all the, you have 27 pairs of shoes, and you can't tie your shoes. And I just said, like, bitch, shut up and tie my shoe. I can have 50 pairs. Guess what? You you about to be down here, Priscilla, tying these little knots. You're going to tie them. But I I do remember, I learned to tie my shoes in, like, first grade. I tie. Shout out to Miss Pauline, who taught me how to tie my shoes on the old wooden shoe. 
back in the day. Listen, good old, good old Connecticut. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited to talk to you today <clears throat> about being Black and being a traveler, because I feel like you are probably one of the most well-traveled people <laughs> I know. Um, and I, I think about like the privilege behind that, like we grew up in a very diverse, very privileged town and I will own that, but definitely. And the access we were able to have to like be able to do things at such a young age and experience so many different things. So I always think about that and like how I have such a love for travel. The only out of country place I've been is Canada. I like don't have a passport. Like I have to, you lie. I swear I don't have a passport. It's the number one thing we're going to do next month. You lie. I swear I don't have a passport, which everyone is always like, you don't have a passport. I go, listen, no one is more shocked than I, that I do not have a passport. It's, I will say this. Mm-hmm. I blame my parents, my mother and my father equally <laughs> for the travel bug. And then I blame my maternal grandmother my girl. And my paternal grandmother, but differently. Mm-hmm. So my maternal grandmother used to take us to Disney twice a summer. And I thought it was interesting that other kids did not go to Disney twice a summer. And I remember in the first grade, I got in trouble because I told my grandmother she was a horrible person because she didn't take us to Disney at the end of the summer. And I was like, everyone's going to laugh at me. They're going to think that we're poor and that we don't have money. And I'm weird because we didn't go to Disney twice. And she was like, y'all are spoiled rotten. And mm-hmm. kids don't even leave the county of New Haven, let alone get on a plane and travel to Disney twice a year. Facts. But my paternal grandmother used to travel. like She was a traveler. But I blame my mother and my father wholeheartedly because my father worked for Amtrak as a kid. And so we would literally jump on the train during the week, he'd pull us out of school. We'd be on the fucking train during the week. We'd be on the train on the weekend, going anywhere. And then I blame my mother because every weekend we were busy. Like we were in Maryland at least once a month. We would literally, she'd pick us up on like a Thursday or a Friday after school. And we'd be in Maryland or Virginia or North Carolina for the summer. Well, not for the, well, for the summer too, but like for the weekend. And they look at me now and they're like, you're always traveling. That's all I know. <laughs> I wonder whose fault that is. Right. No, but like, it's interesting to have been afforded the opportunity to travel like as a kid Mm -hmm. and now as an adult and have taken my mother and my grandmother like out the country to like some of my most favorite places. My father has not been and he's like butthurt about it. He told me that he has a whole list of places that he'd like to go really soon. So that's up and coming. But like, as a black person, as a person of color, as a male, as a gay male, as a black gay male, whatever, traveling is very interesting. Um, even as crew, because um, I've done obviously traveling as crew and traveling not as crew, and it's always interesting when what, people see you in spaces. What does as crew you don't belong in? What does as crew mean for those who don't know? I was a flight attendant in a former life. Um, Gave it up right before the pandemic and going right back into it now because because you can because <clears throat> I can because my resume dictates that I am a professional Thanks. in all things. Um, so I am going back um, to the airlines and I'm going back to flying. Um, but traveling 
it's funny because right before you know we started this, we were talking about it, and it's interesting because I've been to places in America, and I've literally been on a layover while working, and I've not left my hotel room because of the state or the city I was in. Because as a black person, it just it's a little different. Mm-hmm. We were not afforded the opportunity to just walk outside and walk down the street in a place where people who don't look like us don't live, mm-hmm. and it's kind of questionable to be like who the hell is this guy in our neck of the woods and so it's not something I learned becoming a flight attendant I knew it before becoming Mm -hmm. a flight attendant like we're not welcome in all spaces and out of safety to really make sure that you know you know your surroundings um so it's very interesting um one of my an ex-friend of mine um, her father asked me one day, like, what's a commonality I've seen in traveling all over the world? And my response was, and still is to this day, how Black people, and in my case, Black men, because I'm not a Black woman, how we are so disrespected around the globe, how we are seen, how people think of us, what people think of us, and how people react to us. Um, around no matter what country you're in, no matter what place I've been in, no matter what city, town, anywhere I've been across the globe, it is the disrespect that people have for Black human beings um, is the commonality I've seen amongst the world. Yes, food brings us together. Love it, right? But it's how we're treated amongst the masses. Um, South America being one of those places, being on an airplane, being in the country, Argentina, um, for example, being a darker hue, you are looked at, you're poor. You mm-hmm. are, you know, lower than, you're, you're classless almost to them. You know, they whistle at you, they snap at you, things they don't do to light-skinned people. Um, so there's the colorism aspect of, even within people of color, mm-hmm. you know, um, Dominican Republic, wow. Traveling while Black is okay there because they have people that look like us. Um, the people that look like us, they don't consider people who have, you know, it's it's just interesting. Um, being in Europe is definitely always interesting because it's the microaggressions that come from people that don't mm-hmm. look like us. In America, it's blatant for the most part. You know, we went from the microaggressions in America to now it's just blatant in your face and we have that clown to thank for that. People feel emboldened now, but it definitely is the smaller things while traveling in Europe where they're looking at you or, you know, they grab their purse or they, they'll have a conversation with you, but it's the things that they say to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I never forget being on a plane working and a woman said to me, an older white woman, we're talking about college and, and other things. And I was like, yeah, you know, it was never a question of if I was going to school, it was where I was going to school. And she was just like shocked. And I was like, well, why are you shocked? And she wanted to say it was because I was black, but she did not, she didn't allow herself to do it. Mm-hmm. And I laughed and I kept going and digging and she didn't say it because she was trying to look politically correct. And I said it for her and I was like, you were asking me why it was a case of where I was going, not if I was going. I said, well, I don't know what you've heard about black people, but hmm. we raise our kids a certain way. Education is very important in a Black household. Um, Traveling, getting to know 
you know, the world outside of your home, getting to know how to swim because people love to say black people don't know how to swim. Mm -hmm. I can swim like the rest of them. Um, But we had that conversation because again, people who don't look like us may or may not travel and they're not really well-versed in the Mm -hmm. world and in our world, you know, for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, I have so much to say. Like going back to like the very beginning of like where we were raised in the Northeast, but then also so close to New York, like you're saying, like we were able to go and experience New York and like be around different people and go to the train. Like I have probably seen 15, 20 Broadway plays in my life when I lived back home. Like theater, and I grew up, like theater was so big in Hamden where we grew up, right? Like this experiences and I think because we grew up in a town that was so privileged and you know still diverse I mean we still obviously it's Connecticut like had a really big white population but I Mm. obviously when we graduated I did I looked up what the demographic breakdown was when we graduated in 2008 and it was 40 percent white 40 percent black and then 20 percent other people of color and I feel like that was so represented in our student body and Absolutely. I talk, and I talk about that often with people like I grew up in a very diverse place like back then it, like now it's the gender sexuality alliance but right back then it was the gay straight alliance and like we had that week we, we had the restaurant during school like we had we learned how to ice skate and swim and gym like we had all these experiences because we grew up in such a privileged place yeah. and you know living on the east coast I was able I mean, you. I have never been to Disney because I was only a child. My parents didn't take me. But <laughs> I think about just like all the other stuff I got to do, like because the East Coast is so close together. Every summer we drove somewhere like Maryland, right. North Carolina, Canada, like we were always in the car going somewhere. And so I think that's kind of where I got my travel bug is like hopping on the train, going to New York or getting in the car and driving somewhere, which I think is, you know, why I take a road trip every year by myself. And I think about black that. folks do love a black folks do love a road we trip. Love a road, especially by myself. People are like you love it alone. I'm like yes, I get to decide when I stop, how long I stay somewhere, if I have yes. to go to the bathroom. It's like, about I get being to, in control. I think for, it's the freedom, Absolutely. right? But then I think about that too of like the opportunity for me to be able to drive anywhere and do things. But then also like you're talking about like the feeling of being black while traveling is just such a different experience like I had to make and I think I've talked about it on the show before I have a if I go missing folder that I say shared with my god sister Shayna that has my location all of my login information all my banking stuff all of my social media logins because as we know like if black girls go missing in this country no one truly gives a flying fuck and so I'm always like, this is in case something happens, you know, where I'm going to be staying, who's expecting right. me, who I'm going to be staying with. But it's that thing of like being a black person, like having to think about all of the safety measures because of how we show up in the world. And, you know, now that I live in Texas specifically, <laughs> I moved here the year after Sandra Bland was murdered. And so that was a big thing for my family. Like, just please be safe. Just please be safe. And, you know, I have a really one of my best friends does um, travel for her full-time job and so like, we will go and do like trips around texas and i've told her like i wouldn't go to a lot of these towns if i wasn't with you because your whiteness affords me safety and having to unpack that with her and what that means and how she can't like flip off a guy in a trump truck when i'm with her because she's angry right. that's, that's not safe for me and you know just having to unpack that with so many people of 
I'm not afforded, like you're saying, afforded the same treatment and respect that a lot of other people are given. And, you know, like you were saying, traveling internationally, but, you know, because I've only ever been to Canada, which I fucking love Canada, but I love Canada. We stand for Canada. I mean, facts, but talking about all the things like the treatment, the disrespect, the colorism, the microaggressions, like that shit, obviously, like we said, happens here every day. But people, I mean, I do that full, for my full-time job now is like talking about racism and microaggressions and discrimination. But lately it's been talking about microaggressions in, in, in particular with a lot of companies, because even now, like people are so gaslit into saying that their microaggression wasn't real and having to be like, no, like that lady being like, I'm shocked that you like you were going to college microaggression. Right. I also don't believe in microaggressions because it minimizes the impact saying micros and small, which I'm like, no, it's death by a thousand yeah. paper cuts, but yeah, like that, that's just what's all been coming to my mind as you've been talking. It's just like that constant navigation of safety, but while also defending ourselves is so exhausting. I mean, literally leaving your house to go to the grocery store is traveling while black. Oof. That in itself is a feat because you have to literally, and I don't know if other people do this, but as a black man, you have to talk yourself through some things. Like, I'm not going to be that guy in the store today if someone tries you because nine times out of ten, people are going to try you. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's one of those things where being Black affords you certain things. Yes, and we love it. We'd never change it. But it affords us so many negatives as well. Um, I mean, recently I was in the grocery store. You took Traveling while Black not feeling well, both of my parents not feeling well, having to go get food for my father. And this Spanish woman cut me in line. And I was like, not today. Like, I'm not, I'm not feeling mm. well. My father's not feeling well. And I'm at that age where, you know, I'm taking care of my parents to a degree. And it's all like life is hitting us and we're thinking about certain things and I'm standing there and I'm like, you're not cutting me. And so the guy in front of me was like, oh no, she was there. He caught the rap. So I'm not talking to you. Mind your Bunch of business. She wound up running her cart into me, like aggressively, like shoved her cart into me. And I was like, listen, chill, lady, not the one. And I remember in my head, because I was like, I'm about to be that black man. I'm about to be that angry black man. No matter what has happened, no matter this lady has pushed me, physically assaulted me now, they're just gonna, the store is gonna see me as the angry black man, no matter what I do. And she did it again. And I remember saying to her, because I was not feeling well, and I was like, you know, some people in this store and in this life have nothing to lose. And you don't know if at this moment you're fucking with someone who has nothing to lose. And I remember this black woman running from the back of the store, stopping shopping Hamden, running from the back of the store by the meat section all the way to the front. She's like, man, just let him be. Just let him be. And I'm like, no, don't just let me be. Stop assaulting me. Like, again, how we show up in the world, she feels she can cut me in line because she doesn't want to wait. It's just like that that level of disrespect. Like you said, microaggressions. He can wait. I have more important things. And nothing against my Hispanic brothers and sisters. It's just how the world sees people with a darker hue who are Black presenting and how they treat us. Yeah. First of all, a friend of mine, his mom used to say, never underestimate someone else's level of crazy. 
And I'm always like, you just don't know, like, especially as a black person, like the level of exhaustion that I constantly have to think about or experience. And then also, like you're saying, the constant navigation of like legitimately having to pick my battles, especially the capacity overload that we are at every day. And like you said, having to pick because, okay, you just cut me off, but then you literally just almost killed me. So like having to gauge throughout the day, because you're going to have at least 50 interactions Mm -hmm. that are going to cause you to be that angry black person. So the capacity to be like, you know what, this one I'm going to have to forgive and move on. It's, yeah. it's hard every day. It's a daily thing. Well, you know me, my face is very expressive. So it's like, you already know I have an attitude the minute <laughs> you look at me. Like you never have to guess if I'm, how I'm feeling, my face will tell you. But Absolutely. now that I'm in a very predominantly white city and Austin is liberal, but they have the white liberal women who sometimes just, who often like, I can't be blah, 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 because I uh, I voted for, uh, no, I don't give a fuck. Right. Everyone has racism steeped in them somewhere. But that's that's the thing I have to deal about, think about too, because also Austin's such a tourist town that I'm just often like, if I pop off at a white girl during her bachelorette, the minute, if I cuss her out, she's going to pick up that phone and dial 911. And the cops are going to show right. up and like the whole process of like in that moment, it's like that freeze frame of movies when you're like thinking and like everything else moving around like is frozen and you have to like <laughs> see yeah, yourself. Don't realize we go through this on a daily basis. Ten steps we have ahead. to gauge. Mm-hmm. We have to gauge our responses because literally white tears. Deadly. Literal it's life and death. Literally deadly. I mean, I hate to do it. Emmett Teal's killer. Well, not his killer, but the reason mm-hmm. for him being killed, she's still alive, walking free. So again, white tears. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing too. I'm like, people think the civil rights movement was so long ago. It was like, my parents were born in 65. <laughs> your grand, if literally. not your parents, your grandparents were alive. L- literally. Like, it's so funny. I thought about it. And I was like, if my grandmother lived in the South, she would have definitely not been in a segregated school. I mean, it's to think like our grandparents and people think it's so far removed. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not like, and because we grow up the way we do having to learn new things because our grandparents and our great grandparents, and for some of us, even our parents mm-hmm. have experienced these things. We're just taught how to move in the world. And while it's a good thing because we know how to move in the world, no one else has taught these things. Mm-hmm. There are certain people who don't look like us, who are not taught these things because it'll never be an issue for them. Yeah. I, uh, I was reading something one day that was like, the reason why they print so many of the civil like rights movement photos in black and white is to make you think it happened so long ago. John Lewis just died like two so I've years met ago. Him. He's amazing. Like met him on a flight. He is amazing well was amazing but it's so funny i read an article recently and i never thought about that i never thought about the whole fact that there's no color picture of martin luther king nope when him and Anne frank literally would be the same age yep born the same year so it's like like you said it's all about the playing of the mind because guess what they're the same age it wasn't that far ago it wasn't that long ago but again i saw something on tiktok and it makes you think, right? People don't want critical race theory taught in schools. 
because it happened to it happened to our ancestors and our family members. Mm-hmm. But clearly, if it happened to those and we're still talking to them, they're alive. Who are the people that were doing it? They must still be alive. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. Like again, even going back to road tripping, traveling while black, black people drove because they were weren't we weren't afforded the same opportunities as everyone else one but you driving was our control and it's not even control i said control earlier but it's more about the control of the freedom that we have Mm -hmm. to travel because our time we get to do what we want you know having to be black and not even being able to drive through the night in some states Mm -hmm. and some towns because it's just not safe and having to you know stop and knowing where to you know lay over safely if you don't have family is a thing so it's like we carry so much of our ancestors now that we travel whether it be you know through our own state through the u.s through you know north america south america europe just through the globe we carry so much that we have to be you know so vigilant about what we're doing how we're doing it how we're talking you know how we're presenting ourselves in the world for so many reasons yeah, I'm just thinking, as you know, Gabrielle Union is my in my head best friend. And I listened to always her. Has been. Always has been. Um, I just listened to her most recent memoir book. Um, we're gonna do you have anything stronger? We're gonna need something stronger. And she loves traveling too. And she talks about how even her being, you know, first of all, Gabrielle Union, Dwayne Wade's wife, wealthy, right. well-known actress, she went to I want to say Croatia, but I might be wrong. Um, or the Czech, wherever they filmed. Oh my God, what's the fucking show that just ended with the dragons and the people with the medieval Game of Thrones? There we go. Um, she went wherever they filmed Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. how it was her, and then like four people of color who she's friends with who work with her. And, you know, they ended up going into like this very racist, Nazi esque bar by accident and just feeling so unsafe and you know being called the n-word and all these things and and she was talking about in the book of like you know even to this level of her level of privilege and access in this it still didn't mean shit because she was a black woman right in space and i just think that 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 just speaks so much to like no matter who we are what we do how much money we have our blackness is still going to be the first thing people see and it's just, like you're saying it's just so exhausting it's very exhausting very exhausting i just saw something before we're talking this morning about linkedin a lot of people are taking their profile pictures off of linkedin because recruiters are admitting you know seeing their pictures seeing people's pictures are you know helps them gauge how that person is how you see a photo and you can tell off of one photo how that person is going to be an asset or not to your company is funny, but people don't realize when people see black people or a person of color, the same thing happens to us daily. It's literally, mm-hmm. oh, look how he looks. You know, he looks a certain way or a way that the media portrays. He's probably going to rob me. Let me hold my purse tighter. Bitch, I don't want shit in your purse. I probably have 10 times what's in your purse in my bank account right now. Sweetie, I don't want anything mm-hmm. you have. I've never wanted for anything in my life. Like I, Facts. Sweet, we make money, you know, we we just want to exist in a world and mind our business. Like that is one of our models is black people like <clears throat> excuse me, we mind our business. House is burning down, 
people have taken care of it. The part we're minding up, we don't care. We're walking past it because we know it's not safe for us to mind any other business but mm-hmm. our own. So it's, it's just always interesting in the world to go out into the world and see how people react to us because, again, her having all that wealth meant what? I mean, you think about Oprah being in France, going shopping, and they, they didn't know it was Oprah. No, your clerk was racist, mm-hmm. and she assumed Oprah, because of the media and life and whatever else has taught her, that people of color have no money and no class, whatever else, couldn't afford it. When Oprah literally could have shut down. Could have owned that store, store, girl. Owned it. 10, 30 of them, like, easily. And it just goes to show you, like, no matter what your stature in life, the disrespect, Obama, him and his wife, both lawyers, president of the United States, first lady, the disrespect is still real. Like, the most powerful man on earth, the most disrespected man on earth. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. I mean, Michelle Obama was in Target, and someone literally thought she worked there. Like, I remember her talking about it, and I don't know if it's in her book, because I didn't complete her book, I'm not going to lie. But I remember her talking about on Ellen, she was just like, she remembered being in Target with her Secret Service, and like, someone being like, oh, can you help me? And apologizing, like, oh, I thought you worked here. Bitch. With all these people around me? And not a red shirt? Like they, you know how they give them some leeway when they're, you know, in certain stores. But like, I've been Target, and people come to me, and I'm like, "Do I look like I fucking work here? Do I? I don't have a red shirt on. Why? Why the fuck are you talking? I mean, to I'm me? there enough. I could probably tell you what things are, but that's not the point. The point is, I don't look like but anybody's it's, it's employee. Those things like you know, we can't do anything other than have some of these jobs, and they're not bad jobs. I'm not saying at all because mm-hmm. I don't work at Target. A bitch will be at Target with a discount. But it's like people reduce us to service certain certain things in life absolutely yeah all we were meant to do was serve others and i think that's like that's the thing i have to navigate as a black woman often is like my need to make other people comfortable as a way to keep myself safe like what's my palatability in this situation and a lot of people don't get that i was like listen it's that trope of like the angry black woman or she has an attitude or x y and z and i'm like i have to I used to have to just come in and just be consistently happy all the time or in a good mood, because if I have an attitude, then other people have an attitude or they think I have an attitude or I think right. they, they think the I have a tone in, yeah, attitude. or I have a tone in my voice or, you know, she's a bitch or she never smiles or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm just trying to work. Like I am not here to literally, make friends. Li- literally. And it's, and that gets exhausting too. Being blessed in the workplace. <laughs> uh, uh, Excuse me. Jesus. That gets exhausting because, like you said, you have like once you set a tone of "oh, I'm a happy-go-lucky person." God forbid you have a day where you don't want to talk. What's wrong? You're angry. No, but I'm angry. I'm tired. I'm a I human. I work and I want to go home. <laughs> Today is not a fun day for me. I just want to work and go home. And it's like even having to navigate that and having to navigate who we are, and again, changing who we are to fit in the world. To me now at this point at being 31, it's asinine. I'm 31, right? Yeah, I'm 31. Mm-hmm. Um, it's asinine, like having to temperature control who we are, how we respond, how we react to anything is it's exhausting. And like you said, when you do finally lose your shit because you held on to it for the last two or three weeks because your your self-goal was to not be that person, now people are looking at you sideways like it wasn't that serious to you. 
It wasn't serious to you. It, well, it wasn't that serious because you're just seeing this one incident. You don't know right. that I've been holding on to shit that happened three weeks ago because I wasn't able to express it then. And I've just been like, like you're saying, camels, camel, let's break. Charlie breaks the camel's back. There you go. Of like, there's just been so many things I've had to navigate and just keep letting go and keep letting go or like death by a thousand paper cuts, right? Like that last one's going to make me hemorrhage. (laughs) Like you don't see the other 7 million I've already dealt with, but. Right. Yeah. I also like that. I, I don't know why the, you being on crew is just such an interesting thing too, because I feel like I've known you for basically your whole life. Damn near. Yeah. And. I very much know Derek Adam when Derek Adam <laughs> is in his Virgo prime and is just at his last fucking straw and has things to say. Um, not only Virgo prime, I have a Gemini moon. So, what's <sighs> oh, mm. your rising? Exactly. Do you know you're rising? I just did it the other day because me and my boyfriend have this, like, he's Gemini and he has Virgo moon. And then I'm a Virgo and have Gemini moon. So, I'm like, no wonder we fucking are Chaos. insane. So hold on. I literally just did this. Hold on one second. I'm going to find it. Shit. No, I can't wait. Please, I need to know. I have way too many screenshots on my fucking phone. Hold I on. Die. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is mine. Okay. I have... I'm a Virgo. Uh-huh. I have a Gemini moon. Uh-huh. Pisces rising in a yep. Sagittarius... Sag what? Sagittarius... I don't know how to say this. Medium coli. Okay, thing? I was. I, just, I just need. I'm not really into. No, you're rising. Your 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 three make a lot of sense. Your yeah, that Pisces rising. Lots of feelings. And it's so funny because <laughs> middle child, black gay man who like feelings well, are my they're my thing. I, I also want to point out that you are the middle child and between two sisters, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, for my mother, I am. No, even yeah. for my father, yeah. though. Because it was Brittany, me, and then Nadia. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Middle, yeah. And then the younger siblings, younger than that. But still. <laughs> so, yeah, I think about that of, like, you on crew. And I'm just always like. Oh, you have no idea. I, I was like, thank God Derek is not in jail. Because I just know that he's pissing up all these <laughs> white people in the it's air. It's funny because the last airline I worked at was one of my really good friends. I'm now, I've now quit and going to a different airline. And my friend is like, I don't know if you should go over there because, um, babe, your mouth. And I'm like, no, I've gotten better. Like, <laughs> I've gotten better. Mouth now. Because I can tell you, I've argued with many a passenger and people don't realize even being on a plane and being black, people walk on and it's just like, cause you're, you know, they're used to white women, white mm-hmm. girls, white women. And to see a black man, it's just like, and to have that authority figure, because Flintons are authority, mm-hmm. when anyone looks at them, it's like, it does something for people. It triggers some people. And I've had many arguments and kicked many people off the aircraft because what we're not going to do is yell at me because I'm here for your safety. Mm-hmm. Because you're paying to get to that destination and they're paying me to take you to that destination safely and ensuring your safety along the way. So we're not going to do it disrespect me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had many arguments. I've been assaulted more times than I'd like to, to admit. Um, because it's interesting. i never forget I was on a plane. We were on a 737, four black men. We were all flying together, all gay. And I remember this woman came on the plane and she was like, ooh, there's a lot of chocolate on this plane. 
because we were like we had just finished uh meeting with our pilot and we were all up front they were getting right back she was in first class they were getting right back head back to um coach and the way we all stopped and looked at her and then looked at each other because you can tell she didn't mean what she said she was nervous and that was her politically correct way of saying damn there's a lot of Mm-hmm. people on the aircraft <laughs> and so stuff like that or going to take a tray from someone and they're like no it's okay she'll do it I've had people refuse service from me on an aircraft simply because I'm black I had an old lady it was her and her husband must have been Italian and I'm like sir you know would you like something to drink He's not listening. I'm like, sir, sir. He's like, kind of ringing. I'm like, is this man having a heart attack? Is like, he okay? Because again, as a body attendant, different stuff goes through our head. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking you're ignoring me. So finally, his wife goes, oh, honey, he doesn't speak to the help. Kid you not. That man got nothing. She was like, and this is petty, and Lord forgive me, and I've grown since then. But she literally rang her call button like 20 minutes later and was like, can I have some, my husband needs some water for a pill. And I was like, well, when we land, when the help comes, if it comes, he can get water. He's not getting anything from me. Cause again, there's no help on the aircraft. Your husband can't speak to me. He's not getting anything from me because God forbid your husband has a heart attack right now. Who do you think is saving his life? It's, he doesn't it's speak to the help. Doesn't speak to the help. I've been snapped at. I've been poked. I've been called a lot of things. Um, because again, being crew, being on a plane, there's that authority of being the flight attendant. And people look at you, and again, they question, how are you here? You know, why are you here? How did you get this job? And they look at you and they treat you a certain way. Mm-hmm. I've had passengers refuse to speak to me. And I, I used to work first class a lot. Because that was for us most comfortable, you know, dealing with the pilots, dealing with the crew, dealing with all that. Um, so being up front, it's always interesting to see people in first class or business class, um, whether it be international or domestic, seeing how they act. Because I've had people who refuse when I've come around to take preferences for their meals and beverages, want nothing. But then, you know. Sally June. A white. I wasn't going to give my name. I was, I was trying not to give my name. Um, when a white girl comes up or older white woman comes up, it's, oh, the man in 3B wants a coffee. No, he doesn't. I was just literally out there. He wanted nothing. And they go back, well, I'm going to get from, no, you're not actually going to get it from because you don't understand right now you're feeding into his racism. And we're not going to do that. Not on this aircraft, not, not today. Mm-hmm. And like, I've had you explain to many a flight attendant and some got it and some didn't and that's for them. But when you're working with me, it's not happening because, again, I, I, I when I work, I'm up in the aisle. You know, I don't sit down. You see me constantly. I'm there to serve a need for you as a passenger and for the company. We're, I'm feeding both needs. I'm here because, one, I want a paycheck, and two, I'm here for your safety and your comfort. I'm not feeding into racism. You know, people who literally look at you and they're like, I'm not taking anything from this man. But then... You know, a white girl walks up and is like, oh, I'm thirsty now. Mm. So again, I can get you something. And I literally went back to that same passenger. You think he want a coffee when I asked him? Nope. No. So you're, you'll be thirsty. I had a passenger one day put his tray on the ground 
And I was like, sir, you know, are you done with your food? And he was like, yes. And he like kicked the tray towards me. And I was like, sir, I'm, I'm not a dog. I didn't feed you that way. I'm also not going to take your tray. You know how we are. We have to smile because I can't have any other tone. Even though I'm the authority on this aircraft now, I can't even, you know, I got to kind of turn it off. So I'm like, sir, I didn't feed you like that. So if you don't mind just passing me the tray. He was like, I'm not giving that tray to you. You need to take it that way. Okay. I'm going to leave out part of the story just in case statute of limitations does not pass. Um, but I do remember at the end of the flight, when my other coworker who took his tray off the ground, um, he wanted his jacket. And I remember at a certain point during the service, he kept, he started to ignore me. He just like would not talk to me. And his wife was like, oh, he's like that. And I remember like thinking, Bitch, you think this is okay? Like, you think mm-hmm. it's okay for your husband to treat someone like this? And we all knew why, because he spoke to the other young lady I was working with, a white woman, spoke to her fine. There was no issues, nothing at all. And I remember I gave out jacket. And kid you not, I changed everybody his jacket, their jacket. Him, I skipped. He wasn't talking to me. So I'm not going to hand you your jacket, stand here with your jacket in my hand. He was screaming, where's my fucking jacket? Give my jacket. And I remember looking at the other first class class and I was like, I'm, he, yelling? Me? To me? These two pilots that were up front, they were cracking up. They were like, I think he wants jacket. And I was like, that's what it sounds like. But since he's not talking to me, I guess he'll get it <laughs> when I open the closet door when we land. And I remember he snatched his jacket. He asked me, he goes, you're, you're such a, you're, you're, and I remember I lost, I chased after him up the jet bridge and I was like, just say it, call me up and mm-hmm. say it. And I remember the pilot came and he was like, what's going on? And I was like, he literally on the tip of his tongue was about to call me out my name in a racial epithet. And the pilot, I remember like he was, the woman was too stunned to speak. He was too stunned to speak. He was like, got back on the plane you know we finished the planning and everything and the pilot was like never you never have to take that like you know there's always stuff in in place he's like we could have diverted and i'm like it's, and again for him for the pilot because he doesn't have to deal with these things mm-hmm. to him it's like oh my gosh this is like the world is ending for us it's just another day being a person of color while traveling because yeah, I could have called him and said, you know, the man was threatening and we could have diverted and all sort of stuff. And like, but who does that help? Mm-hmm. Who does that, you know, who, like it's all lose-lose across the board. Well, I'm, I bet you that that old way do you learned a lesson that day. Again, you never, you never know how people are going to react. And I think because people think, you know, we're in uniform. Um, Still human. We have to keep a certain decorum. But it's, no, we're human and there are lines that you can cross that will easily get you taken to St. Peter. St. Peter. St. Peter. <laughs> You'll be knocking on heaven's door trying to get in. Because again, it gets frustrating. It gets old when you work two or three flights and you're standing there at the board and door, good morning, welcome aboard. And people literally say nothing to you, but then see Marianne in first class or right behind first class. Hi, how are you? And again, it's not everyone. Let me, let me go back. It's not everyone. But there are those ones that are out there in the world and you're trying to do your job and it's just like, you're non-existent. And it's, it's just always interesting, you know, 
whether it be on the plane, in the hotel room, in a store, the reaction. You know, I can go somewhere today dressed like what people would consider bummy with, you know, some sweatpants, a pea coat, a hoodie, a hat, some sneakers. And then I can turn around and come in a suit and I can get two different responses and people will treat me differently based mm-hmm. on one, how I'm, how I'm dressed because, you know, it's more palatable for me to walk into a space with a suit, a nice scarf, some nice pants, you know, nice dress shoes versus me walking in with some jeans or, you know, some Jordans or something. It's, you get a whole different response and we have to manage that every day. Even while we're traveling, it's like we want to be as comfortable as possible. But we also know walking around the airport with a black person with their fist in the air with a pick is not going to get us the best service because automatically assume something about us that mm-hmm. may or may not be true. And now I always love now going places because my hair has grown back. And so, so the amount of looks of like white people who are so uncomfortable with my afro is my favorite fucking thing it's my favorite thing because like i'll be dressed to the nines but you're still gonna get this fro or braids depending on the day bothers them and i don't know you know i wasn't alive in the 60s and 70s i don't know if it's because like if they're thinking back to then Mm -hmm. and whatever's happened then but afros bother them and then let me like beards and then let me be with i've had people yeah comment on my beard Mm-hmm. Oh, you look like a Muslim. Are you like a terrorist? No. What? Well, that's like, that's the thing too. Like I'll, like I said, I'll be in a full, like full ass formal gown with like braids and a bun or like my, or right. my fro out. And then, and, but then I'll go like people, like if it's like a gala event and people just see my name, Brianna with an O Jenkins, black, <laughs> black as black. My parents are like, Brianna Janae, like black, like, right. no, we're not going to mess this up. But then I go with like people who are very wealthy and white or people who are being honored and those yeah. tones change. And I'm like, oh, would you, would you just fucking look at that all of a sudden day and it's night, very interesting. day and goddamn it's night. My name is racially ambiguous, ambiguous. I can't, I blah, blah, blah. I can't even say it. Actually ambiguous, yeah. Yes, I I don't know why I feel like I can't say it. And it is, like, my last name is definitely not one that Black people think. Yeah. But me going by Derek Adam or Chef Derek Adam, people, I mean, maybe it's the way it's spelled because there is only one R my name, D-E-R-I-C-K. Do not spell it any other way because I will ignore you. Um, People don't know what to expect. And if you get me on the phone, people say I like, sound like Tanya, my mother, all the time. Um, so I sound like a woman on the phone. And then it may disarm people, but then you get me in public and it's just like, hmm, mm-hmm. this is not the person that you thought we were going to be seeing today. And it's just like, what's up? <laughs> because we have to, we have to play to every side. And not even to be accepted, just to have peace in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, you get to an event, you get to a gala, you get to a work event where you're dressed to the nines and maybe you know your hair is colored or you have braids or an afro or a long beard or maybe you have a part or maybe your hair styled in waves or whatever has caused these people distress. And they look at you a certain way 
until they realize who you're rolling with or who you are because i have i have run events and been in charge of them and people don't know till like they know and they're like ah fuck and i'm like because there used to be a time when i used to run a gala event that was pretty big and there was always like someone who talks like on a phone like okay and i will put you in the back the last option for a table next to the bathroom next to the bathroom next, next to the to open the door hope, hope right. i hope it is downpouring and freezing <laughs> because that's my level of petty of like you get what you give right like i'm not going to go out of my way to be overly nice to anybody anymore i can't like it's already mentally exhausting trying to be trying to, com- trying to compensate for the people who treat me like shit let alone anything yeah, else exhausting. yeah so i thank you so much for chatting with me today it has been Absolutely. a true honor and a pleasure. Um, at the end of every episode, I like to ask a sort of palate cleanser question. And that question is, it's a two-part as you get to pick which, which one you want to answer. What is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is the piece of advice you would give to your younger self? I'm going to answer both. Oh, that's true, Virgo. All right take advantage of all the opportunity um the best advice i was ever given was by my great grandmother when she rest in peace she said the worst anyone can tell you is no i didn't understand it as a kid then as, as an adult understand it literally someone tells you no you're literally in the same spot that you are you have to take opportunities in this world you have to be able to put yourself in uncomfortable situations to get where you want to go. Um, that's at least what I took from it. And then what would I tell my younger self? I literally just talked to my nurse about this at the doctor's office this morning at my visit. Kids don't realize they're at the happiest point of their lives. Like they're so free, so young, so just like full of life. And we rush to be adults. So what I would have told my younger fast ass, smart ass self, was to slow down and enjoy the childhood that I had um, for what it was worth. Because once you're an adult, they want their money. These people want their money. They want their car note and their car insurance. You and can't their take a nap at any time. And their rent. <laughs> you can't. There is no, I don't want to do it. Your job wants from you. People want from you, family. Literally just enjoy being a kid. Be, enjoy every stage of life you're at but most importantly enjoy 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 and save a little bit you ain't got to spend everything on money on food you don't spend all your money on food yeah talk to your younger self because we used to go all the time so (laughs) (laughs) we still do when we see each other facts like drink food that's different though we that's like ketchup that's an investment in our relationship that's not just (laughs) going out anymore gosh Well, I love you. Um, I thank you so much. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. That's it. This week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at thetea3 at gmail.com and visit the website, thetea3podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or we get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.